In verses 12 and 13 of our Bible reading, 2 Timothy chapter 1, it says, For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Hold fast the form of sound words, which thou hast heard of me in faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. These well-known words are taken from Paul's final epistle. This is his last writing before his death. Written during his last imprisonment in Rome, where he awaited martyrdom. And you'll notice how he says these things to Timothy. And it seems that he's saying to Timothy, I'm a dying man. My day is finished. Now it is time for you to step forward. It is time for you to be in the front line. To take up the torch of the cause of Jesus Christ, our Saviour and our Lord. It would seem that in the days of the Apostle, there was the passing away of the older generation. And because of that, there was an emphasis for faithful young men and women to come forward and to rise up and to carry on the work of God into the next generation. And we need to pray that that will happen, not only in our own congregation here, but right throughout our denomination, that young people in Northern Ireland will be raised up to take their stand for truth and righteousness and to fill the boots of those who have gone before. That's a great need today. And it's an urgent need for prayer. As I go around our churches in my retirement and I see how the work of God is going on, I am more concerned and more deeply impressed for the need for young people to step forward unashamedly for the gospel's sake, for Christ's sake, and to nail their colors to the mast and to not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And furthermore, the fact that we live in perilous times of rampant apostasy shows the need for new stalwarts to take their stand in chapter 3 of this book, we read in verse 1, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Very clearly stated, isn't it? Now, those perilous times have come. We're not waiting for them to come. They're here. They're upon us now. They are no longer in the future. 
Men are lovers of themselves more than lovers of God. They are haters of the Lord, and they have cast Christ aside and have no time for the Savior. In perilous times, apostasy runs riot in the church. And because it runs riot in the church, it runs riot in the country too, in politics and in society and in every part of life. And we see that today. It can't be denied. There is rampant apostasy. There's perilous times. And there's a great need for you and me to pray that God will bless our young people, our teenagers, young Christians, instead of looking for an easy way out, that they'll take their stand for the Lord and that they'll not be ashamed of the Lord Jesus Christ in times uh, like this. In perilous times, wickedness abounds. And such apostasy can only be met by those who are faithfully following the Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching of God's word. I don't need to tell you that here in Guildford. We all know that. But we do need to be reminded. And these truths need to be repeated. And we need to be alerted again and again of this great need. Each generation faces a new onslaught from a new crop of apostates. Each generation therefore needs a new generation of men and women to fight today's battles. We cannot fight today's battles in the strength of men who fought well in their day, but are now either in the glory or coming near the end of their earthly journey. We can celebrate their memory and we can salute their bravery and make use of their labours, but our need is for new men and new women, young people, both men and women, of the old school, who will guard the gospel, who will be on fire for God, who know God personally, and who have the power of the Holy Ghost in their lives. We need people who do not fear the face of man, who will go across the world and preach the gospel with power and endure hardship as good soldiers of Jesus Christ. That's what the church needs today. That's what we need. And oh, that we might be stirred to pray that God will bring it about and that many will be faithful to the Savior. We need young people who have died to the world's claims, who have died to the world's attractions, and who are ready and who are willing to serve their Savior, whatever the cost. May God be pleased to raise up just such a new generation of stalwarts like that in our day and in the future. 
Despite Paul's predicament here in prison and awaiting execution, Paul is not concerned about himself. He desires to encourage the ongoing witness of the church. And hence, he writes these words to Timothy. And in verse 8 of the chapter, we read, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. This exhortation given by Paul is backed by example as Paul declares in our text, I am not ashamed. Verse 12, I am not ashamed. If we consider the cause for which he suffered, Paul suffered many things. Paul suffered often. Paul suffered intensely. Paul suffered more than most. In fact, a great deal more. And we want to consider for a moment the cause for which he suffered. He says in our text, verse 12, for the which cause I suffer these things. We might ask the question, what cause? Well, the previous two verses, verses 10 and 11, make it clear that the cause is the cause of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Whereunto he says, I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. This is the message which brings Christ's light and saving grace to the Gentile as well as to the Jew. There may be many causes which are regarded as worthy of sacrifices and sufferings, but there can be no nobler cause than that of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the highest calling of all. And to suffer for Christ is an honor. In fact, there will be special diadems for the likes of Paul and others who suffered greatly for the gospel's sake. All of Paul's sufferings were in the interests of this one noble cause, as he declares elsewhere in his epistles, and particularly in Philippians 1 and verse 17, where he states, I am set for the defense of the gospel. Paul had a personal experience of Jesus Christ, and he preached out of that experience. It is said that a new minister in the parish in which Thomas Carlyle lived asked the famous writer Thomas Carlyle what the parish most needed. Thomas Carlyle's reply was memorable. He said this, Sir, this parish most needs a man who knows God other than by hearsay. In other words, 
It needs a man who knows God personally, who's in touch with God, who's in living, vital contact with the God of heaven, a man who can call down the blessing from above, a man who can stir the hearts of the people and cause the lives of men to be changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Oh, that's what we need today. Men and women filled with the Holy Ghost whose lives tell for Jesus Christ. Many people of God and servants of God have followed in the apostolic succession of the Apostle Paul in suffering for the cause of the gospel. Not least in our own United Kingdom down through the years. Men like the great reformer Hugh Latimer who declared at his trial in 1555 under the reign of bloody Queen Mary. Uh, he said that he was imprisoned along with Cranmer and Ridley and Bradford. And this is recorded. For Christ's gospel preaching and because he would not go amassing. Therefore, he was imprisoned. Indeed, he was executed and suffered martyrdom along with his colleagues who were imprisoned with him for the gospel's sake. And there are countries today across this world and believers are suffering for Christ's sake. Their lives are being taken from them. They're being killed, murdered, and martyred for Christ's sake. We can say the lines have fallen to us here in the United Kingdom presently at any rate in pleasant places. We have a goodly heritage, but we don't know for how long that heritage will be left to us. And we don't know how soon times may change and perilous times will come upon us. Days of persecution, days of affliction, and days of great suffering. And oh, for the grace of God, when that time comes to be able to stand and be faithful and to be true to the very end. So much then for the cause for which Paul suffered, the cause of the gospel. Oh, we could say a lot more. But let's think of the courage which Paul displayed. He says, nevertheless, I am not ashamed. In spite of it all, I'm not ashamed. This is not the first time that Paul uses these words. We find him in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16 where he writes, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Now at the time he wrote those words in Romans, he was at the height of his missionary activity in Corinth from where he wrote the epistle to the Romans. And he was preaching in Corinth 
and his preaching met with a great response from the most vile and wicked cesspool of iniquity that was on the earth at that time. Corinth was a vile place. All kinds of sins were openly being conducted on a shamed line. And yet when Paul arrived there and began to preach the gospel, men were convicted of their sin. Men lay prostrate on the ground. Men moaned and groaned over the weight of the sin in their lives. And they cried to the Lord for mercy. And Paul had the joy of pointing many to the Savior and of establishing a new church in that city. It wasn't perhaps the most holy of churches, for Paul had a hard job weaning them away from their sin and teaching them and showing them the direction in which they ought to have gone. But nevertheless, as in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, he mentions a list of the sins from which they were delivered. It was awful. All kinds of sins, murder, mayhem, sodomy, stealing, thieving, you name it. People were saved from all these backgrounds. Doesn't it just show you nobody's too hard for the Lord? You've been praying for somebody, maybe for years, who's down in the gutter of sin. No one's too hard for the Lord. If the Lord could save Saul of Tarshish, a hardened sinner, without a thought or concern for Jesus Christ, and smite him down instantly on the Damascus road, God can do anything. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. Keep on praying for your family. Keep on praying for your friends. Keep on praying for those you know are lost. And it saddens your heart and it grieves your soul. Lay hold upon the ropes of prayer and believe that God can answer. God can step in and God can work miracles even where we think it is impossible. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. And so here is Paul showing courage. Courage. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. And he's in Corinth. And in spite of all that was happening around him in that city, he sees a great work done for God. We can see a great work done for God in our cities, in our towns, and in our villages, and in our country hamlets. God is able. Oh, let's bend the knee in prayer and lay hold of heaven. And Paul was encouraged even though he was in prison. Coming near the end, martyrdom was was nigh. It could come at any time. But Paul rejoiced in the evident power of the gospel to transform the lives of sinners. Paul was in prison Here there are no crowds gathering around him. There's no people coming eager to hear the gospel. 
On the contrary, he reveals in chapter 4 that only Luke was with him. It was a lonely place. It was a hard place. And that at his first answer, he says, no man stood with me. Verse 16. Yet, this did not lessen Paul's courage as he stood for the gospel. He was not ashamed when his message was being blessed and people were crowding around him. And he was still not ashamed when the only response was hostility and opposition. Paul never wavered. He was faithful to the end, to his Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Oh, haven't we an awful lot we can take from Paul? There's a lot to be learned here. There's a lot to be taken in and imbibed within these hearts of ours and in our lives. On the eve of his martyrdom, he could say that he had not been ashamed at the beginning of his Christian life and his Christian service for Christ. And now he was not ashamed at the end of his life and at the end of his Christian service for Jesus Christ. This same courage had been displayed by many martyrs down through the ages. It was displayed by the founding fathers of our own denomination as they boldly witnessed for the truth all those years ago when they took a bold stand against the compromising ecumenical churches of their day. And oh, may God give us the grace to take that same stand as we serve our Lord Jesus. And coming to the very heart of this text, we find the secret of Paul's courage. It lies in the conviction with which he spoke. The conviction with which he spoke. Note these words in the text, for I know whom I have believed. His courage stemmed from a strong faith which could withstand all opposition. Note where that faith rested, not in some empty form of religion or ritual, but in a living person, in the Lord Jesus Christ. He does not say, I know what I believed. He didn't put his trust in creeds, nor in ritual, but he says, I know whom I have believed. He trusted a person. It was the Lord Jesus Christ. And that makes all the difference. But the Lord Jesus Christ is real to his people. And they have a, a, a lively conviction that the Lord Jesus is alive in their hearts. They can withstand anything. They'll go through a brick wall for Christ. And nothing will deter them. May God give us that lively conviction. That living conviction. That Christ is in us. And he's our hope of glory. And we thank God for that.
Not only that, but we look also at the confidence he possessed. He says, I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. The words, that which I have committed. Paul committed his life to the Lord. He committed his soul to the Lord. He committed his labors to the Lord. He committed those whom he led to Christ to the Lord. He committed the churches to the Lord. Paul committed an awful lot to the Lord. And he says here, I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him. What have you committed to the Lord? What have I committed? Thank God we have given our lives to him. We have committed our souls to him, to the saving, uh, saving grace. But have we committed the entire work to the Lord? Our everyday labors, our going out in the morning, or coming in at night, the things we do, the things we say, committed to the Lord. The Lord's able to keep, and he'll never fail. And you will remember that God committed to Paul the gospel to keep, to preserve, and to guard. And throughout Paul's life, he did keep the gospel. He did guard the gospel. And now, at the end, Paul is committing it back into the hand of the Lord. His life on earth is over. His work is done. And he knows that God is able to keep his own gospel. God is able to keep his own word. God is able to keep his own son. And God is able to keep his own servants. And God is able to keep his own proclamation of that word. So that it will not come back to him in vain. But rather prosper in the thing whereto it is sent. And so Paul is committing all these things to the Lord. And we tonight can rest assured with wholehearted confidence that we can commit to the Lord his work. His work here in Guilford. His people here in Guilford. His congregation here in Guilford. His witness here in Guilford. And God will keep it. He'll guard it. He'll preserve it. And furthermore, in the preserving and guarding of it, he'll increase it to his own glory and to his own honor. And we're all part of that. And we're part of God's calling. He has chosen us. He has put us into our position And we're not here by chance. But in the providence of Almighty God, he has planted us here to be faithful witnesses and true servants of our blessed Redeemer. Paul didn't fail. I pray that I might not fail. Sadly, many, when they get to my age in life, fail. 
We look back over the years and we see it. We have seen it happen. They become soft in their stand for Jesus Christ. They become weak in their proclamation of the gospel. Let us all be earnest in seeking that God will keep us faithful until the end. Faithful to the end. And then one day we will be caught up to glory and sweeping through the gates of the new Jerusalem, washed in the blood of the Lamb, we will have victory and joy for all eternity as in his presence we rejoice and sing the new song of the Lamb unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own precious blood. What a future we have. Oh yes, some of us might be nearing the end of the road, but it's not all over. It's only beginning. Thank God. God has, is preparing a place for us in heaven. In my Father's house are many mansions, and the Lord Jesus, the carpenter on earth, is preparing a mansion in the sky. And if he's building it and preparing it, you can be well assured it'll be well done. Every joint will be well placed. Every screw will be well uh, put in. And there'll not be a single thing out of place. Oh, we look forward to what lies ahead. And what joy there is in the people of God when we think of what Christ has done for us. Thank God for the cross, for the atonement made there, for the blessed righteousness of the Lord Jesus. Now we're clothed in that righteousness, washed in his blood and cleansed from our sin. Well, how we have every right to praise him and to thank him and to be joyful that we're his today. May the Lord be pleased to bless his word to all our hearts, even now for the Savior's sake.